Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another team preview for the 2023 fantasy season. I am joined here by Paul Patterson to discuss the Philadelphia Eagles and Washington Commanders. How's it going, man? It's great. We're going we're doing great today, Mike. Uh, ready to jump in here. I'm an Eagles fan, as you know. Viewers can't uh, actually see me for this, but I've got a Nick Foles jersey on the wall behind me. I've got the newspaper from when they took out your New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm ready to talk Eagles. I think it's a pretty interesting team, obviously a great offense. And then commanders, you know, our rivals, I feel like I, I know them pretty well. Um, and, and that'll be an interesting team as well with some some quarterback stuff and two wide receivers kind of battling it out close in the dynasty ranking. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, for sure. I, I actually have a whole pile of Nick Foles jerseys just for when I run out of wood for my fireplace. So uh, <laughs> glad, glad we can be on the same page there. Uh, without further ado, let's get into the Eagles. They're, they're the more exciting team for sure, uh, both for fantasy and real life. I think the most interesting thing this season, because we kind of know how the passing game is going to sort itself out to the most part, is the running back battle. So I'm just going to start this off from the top. There's been rumors that Kenneth Gainwell's been running as the RB1. We heard those same rumors last year, and he had, what, 57 carries. So what do you think's happening in the running back room this year? So the running back room has been kind of an ever-evolving situation in Philadelphia. I thought I sort of understood it, and then everything changed with preseason week one. Uh, what I What I do know, well, I can't say no, I guess. I, I feel pretty strongly that Kenny Gainwell is not – the actual RB one on the team. I, I don't think that there's really an outcome where he's leading the team in carries. He might get the most snaps. He might maybe could get the most opportunities or at least weighted opportunities. If you, you know, weight those targets a little more heavily. Um, but I, I don't think that he can lead them in carries. Honestly, the way that this has shifted for me is just after preseason week one, I'm a little bit more nervous about Rashad Penny and maybe a little bit more, optimistic about deandre swift uh just in the sense that swift does seem to be ahead of penny in the pecking order gainwell has his role locked in he's probably that long down and distance two minute drill guy so penny's the one that has me a little bit uneasy lately uh where i'm pretty confident that the other guys have roles yeah no that that makes sense to me and you'd think that penny has a unique skill set as the first and second down guy the best you know pure rusher as you'd like to say but he doesn't have a big contract he's had a lot of injury issues so i think his role is a lot up for grabs i did see there were reports after the week one that the reason that they played swift and penny and didn't play gainwell or boston scott was just because gainwell and scott were on the team last year and they wanted swift and penny to you know have experience in the system with live action so I, I'm not reading too much into that. The moral of the story yeah. for me is that I'm not really interested in any of these running backs, at least in redraft at cost. I, I do think DeAndre Swift has a lot of upside, but I think it's going to be a split where we don't see any running back getting more than 15 touches a week with any type of consistency as long as, you know, all three of them are healthier. Or even if just, you know, three out of the four of Swift, Penny, Gainwell, and Scott are healthy, I don't see, I don't think we're seeing a Miles Sanders type, you know, 200 plus touches like last season. Yeah, I think that is the most likely outcome that it's a muddled committee. Uh, my main concern with Penny, I, I'm totally with you on the Gainwell and Scott rest thing. Even when I was like following the game live and they weren't playing, my immediate thought was like, well, they were already on the team. Like they have right. 
established roles that probably aren't changing much from last year. So there's not really a lot for them to figure out. But the weird thing for me was like Penny playing well into the second quarter with the with the backups. And who knows, because Sirianni made some comments about how he just wants these guys to get tackled and stuff. So it might not mean anything, but there are red flags with Penny. Obviously, the injuries, um, the minimal guaranteed money, like he might just not have it anymore. We don't we don't know for yeah. sure. Uh, and so he could get cut. They are talking up Trey Sermon like crazy in training <laughs> camp. Like okay. he's going to be the, the the two down grinder. I don't buy that, but I don't know. It's just weird vibes with Penny. I think he's probably been going a little bit too high, especially in like best ball drafts. But, um, but yeah, with Swift, like I still don't really see the mega ceiling with, with this in the sense that the offense isn't going to be tailored to his skill sets necessarily. I, I don't think it's going to be, heavily focused around passes to the running back. And it still seems like Gainwell has the inside track on those third and longs two minute drills. So the ceiling seems to be capped, but if there's more of a chance that he's their main rusher and he can maybe, you know, get 200 carries and 40, 50 receptions, uh, you know, you can start to see a little bit of an upside case for him. But like you said, it's probably going to be a committee unless there's an injury. Yeah. And and I, I do see that path for Swift. So just to, just to take a step back, I currently have the carry split out. I got Petty and Swift basically each in the, you know, 140 range and Gainwell at about 90 carries. As a reminder, last year, Gainwell only had 53 carries. And then I do have Swift with 35 catches, Gainwell with 18 and Penny with just a few. Um, I think Swift is going to win that role because I think he's the better player. I think Mm -hmm. uh, we could see Gainwell starting the season in that third and long role because they trust him more. We've seen coaches have trust issues with Swift. But the moral of the story to me is that Jalen Hurts is not going to throw to the running backs a lot. He is not going to hand off a lot at the one yard line. He's either going to run it in himself or pass the ball. I just Mm -hmm. don't see a lot of upside here. And especially, I mean, I was shocked to see because I'm not a big, you know, best ball redraft guy. Rashad Penny is the RB 34 when he has just absolutely no receiving upside. I, I just don't see that personally. Yeah, I think he'll be falling too uh, after what happened last week. He'll probably dip down another round and a half while Gainwell is going to start rising. Like that, I think their ADPs are going to start to converge as we get towards the end of August. Yeah, uh, let's move on to talk about the passing game and. The main thing that stood out to me here was that I have A.J. Brown projected for a huge season. Again, you know, 80-plus mm-hmm. catches, 1,300-plus yards, 8 to 10 touchdowns. Still, that's basically what I have guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave projected for. And mm-hmm. A.J. Brown is three or four years older than those guys. He is injury-prone. I love the guy, but is there a chance that he is a sell in Dynasty? I don't think there's a, a chance. I think is a, there's a guarantee that AJ Brown is a sell in dynasty. Uh, I've been, I've talked about it on my podcast a couple of times. He, he's a fantastic player. And I, I think just the vividness bias of like how amazing he looks on the field does kind of cloud people's judgment a little bit with his ADP because yeah, I mean, you look at the track record of what he's done throughout his career. He has been incredibly solid, but he's never really broken fantasy with his fantasy point totals like he's never had a season like a cooper cup or like you know Devontae adams peak seasons and i don't really think that that's possible in this offense especially with devonta smith and dallas goddard there like last year he consolidated about as much as you could realistically expect i think his target share was 
like 28 and a half percent, 29 percent. He was incredibly efficient. I mean, he caught everything. He had double digit touchdowns. He, you know, his yards per reception was fantastic. Like he, he did everything you could want and he still had, I think under 18 points per game. So I, I just don't see room for improvement. And if anything, I would expect some regression in the efficiency uh, just naturally because Hertz also was kind of playing at the the peak of his abilities. Yeah. I mean, 17 yards per reception on 88 catches, 1500 yards, 11 touchdowns. AJ Brown is that good. But like you said, I really do think that's a ceiling and that's not a break fantasy type ceiling. And when you think about the fact that guys who can break fantasy like Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill are going significantly below him and guys who have much more upside who are younger, like a Chris Olave, like a Jalen Waddle and a Monase Brown are going below mm-hmm. him as well. I think he's a pretty big sell in Dynasty. I, I haven't been acting on that yet. I do have a lot of shares because I've been a fan of him for a while, but I do think that's something I'm yeah. going to have to start acting on before the season starts. Yeah, I don't have many shares. I have floated some of mine out in deals to try to get like either like Tyreek Hill plus or um, try to tear down into one of the younger guys. I haven't had much success. It's only one or two leagues, so it's kind of, you know, micro markets and all that. But as a general rule, if I have AJ Brown, I am looking to try to turn him into either a Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Drake London with anything I can get on top. Or if I'm competing, I'd rather just have cup and, you know, a first or whatever, or, or Adams and a first or something like that. That seems like a more efficient way to play it. Yeah, no, I think so too. And that's, that's a good way to, to tear down without losing much production. To me, I think I'm going to go offer every single one of them for a Monrose Brown after this, because <laughs> just, just thinking about, it, I haven't, I have ARSP projected for more points this year and he's significantly younger. So it's, it's hard yeah. to. Not Jalen Waddle though. I don't. I don't. I don't really want Jalen Waddle over him though. I, I think no, me neither. Me same neither. tier probably, but I, I'd still rather have Brown because I think he's more likely to be like a mid-range wide receiver one this year, and like he's not. He's not old, you know. He's he's what is he twenty-five, maybe just turned twenty-six, kind of yeah. in that range. So you can still kind of rent his points for a couple of years before he's really gonna see his value tank. And so I'd either be looking for someone who I think is like ascending. Or like we said, an older guy who could actually outscore him uh, and pick up some extra value as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about Devontae Smith real quickly. I don't think there's a whole lot to say. In my opinion, we just, he is who he is, which is a really good wide receiver too, both in real life and in fantasy. I don't see the upside just because uh, Jalen Hurts. I mean, I haven't projected for 550 attempts, which I think is even a little bit high. And even with that, I could only get Devonta Smith to 1,200 yards just because you have A.J. Brown there. You have Dallas Goddard there. Mm. You talked about the consolidation last season. Those three players were 75% of the Eagles' targets, which is absolutely insane. So, uh, again, that's only the games they played. So, I, it's hard to get Devonta Smith above that. Do, do you disagree at all? Do you think there's a chance he surpasses no. AJ Brown? No, I, I don't foresee that happening this season. Uh, I think Brown's still got a couple years left of peak production, you know, barring any kind of injuries. And so I'd still expect him to lead in fantasy points. Um, I think it'll be, I don't think it'll be a chasm by any stretch. I don't think it was last year even. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the upside for Smith is capped. I think what you're paying for in Dynasty with him is. You're paying for very like safety, obviously, because he's really good and he's really young. You're paying for a steady floor of wide receiver two production, and you're paying for that contingent upside 
that we can see if Goddard or Brown gets hurt. Cause like we saw, if you just look at the sample, when Goddard was out, he was producing as a wide receiver one. And so with that offense being so consolidated, you know, they don't have a backup tight end of consequence. Alameda Zacchaeus and Quez Watkins are not going to consolidate targets. So if any of the big three does miss time, the other two can really pick up the slack and they can, you know, be on fire for however long that other player's out. I still think he's a touch overpriced in Dynasty, but I definitely get it. Devonta Smith or T. Higgins? I think Smith, uh, just because I think he's better, and I, I don't really see their range of outcomes as being that different from each other. It's pretty similar in my opinion. Like they're in similar situations. Uh, mm. you, you have a more prolific passing offense in Cincinnati, but also it's slightly less condensed. Um, it's an interesting argument. I, I have them in the same tier for sure. Yeah, I don't fault anybody for preferring Higgins. Um, for me, I just think Devonta Smith's the better target earner. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like the the difference in passing volume is made up for the the consolidation of the offense and then the it heightened target share. But it's like it's super close, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about Jalen Hurts because obviously he has ascended after last season where he was just absolutely absurd. He has ascended to, um, you know, the QB three in dynasty. I've seen him go as the QB one in various drafts. Um, he's kind of the last player who's worth, you know, more than three firsts in most dynasty leagues talking super flex here, of course. And, I've, something has me a little queasy about Jalen Hurts, and I don't know why. I just maybe it's because the track record isn't as long, maybe because it's not as he's not as traditional of a quarterback. But I find myself, if I'm able to move to Allen or Mahomes, who I feel are significantly safer for a cheap price, or if I'm able to go down to a guy like Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow and get something on top, I know they probably won't put up as many fantasy points as Jalen Hurts this year, but. Is is there a reason for me to feel queasy or is this just some like old biases coming back in? Well, I'm certainly not without my own biases as an Eagles fan, but yeah, um, but yeah I'm, I'm not really with you on this one. I I don't know if I'm concerned about Hurts. You know, he didn't go in the first round of the NFL draft, but he certainly didn't lack as a college passer. He, he was no. very impressive in college. Um, he's basically improved every single year of his career dating back to college. Like he has... He has never gone backwards. He's never plateaued. Um, he's he was very rusty, his, or very shaky his rookie year. He was you know somewhat below average in his second year, and then took off his third year. You know, you add AJ Brown into the mix, Devonta Smith year two. It makes sense that he was able to take such a huge leap. Um, but you know, he's got the huge contract. He has all the upside in the world. You know, he in a median outcome, I think he will project to score more points than Burrow and Herbert every year for the next five, six seasons. And so for yeah. me, I, I need a pretty big plus to move down to those guys. Um, and, and sure I would move up to Mahomes or Allen. I have those guys ranked ahead of him, but I wouldn't be giving up anything substantial to do it. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with Hertz as my QB three in dynasty. Um, I've taken him at the one or three in startups this year. And for me, it's just, it's full steam ahead. I don't know how he fails in this particular offensive configuration. Yeah. I was kind of testing that out, but you're right. I, I, I think <laughs> you're right. I mean, it's just, it's just a feeling. I kind of have the same feeling with Justin Fields, but of course Jalen hurts was great last year and Justin Fields wasn't. So it's, it's not right. exactly the same thing. Yeah. Fields can have a season like hurts did last year. I mean, he's going to be right up there with him as the, as right. the fourth ranked guy in dynasty hurts made that leap. We needed to see, 
um, for me and I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, let's, uh, anything else stand out to you about my, uh, Eagles projections here? Um, I, I guess this is sort of just like a comment on projections and how they, they do tend yeah. to be a little bit flawed at times, but the running back projections are like super low. And I understand that because you have to kind of split it between the three. I think they're definitely wrong. Uh, I just don't know how they're wrong. You know what I mean? I, but, and, I, and I'm sure I, you I know agree. that too. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, something's going to happen. Like one of these guys is probably going to be phased out or get hurt. Um, and one of the other guys is going to end up, you know, over 10 points per game. Cause you do have them all projected under 10. I'm assuming there will be a quote unquote winner here. Uh, I don't think they're going to be a league winner per se, but I think one of these three guys is probably going to be in that RB two conversation. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, you know, I have all three projected for between 110 and 180 touches. I think it's highly likely that one of them is under 100 and one of them gets over 200. It's just hard to say which one that is at this point. Uh, my bet is still on DeAndre Swift there. Let's move on to yeah. the lightning round. Who is the best value uh, in Dynasty on the Eagles? It's Jalen Hurts, man. Uh, yeah. If you can draft him, then you take him. And uh, if you're in a league where you don't have him, good luck trying to get him. Yep, I think that's absolutely correct. <laughs> I don't know if I have a best value. I think it probably would be Jalen Hurts, even though I presented some some potential issues just because I don't think you can pay too much for one of those quarterbacks. Um, if DeAndre Swift continues to fall, if he falls to the eighth, ninth round mm -hmm. of startups, if you can get him for, you know, a second or a second and a third or two seconds, I think at that point yeah. I'll be happy to buy DeAndre Swift. Um, but it's, I, I think all these guys are pretty, that's what happens when you have an amazing offensive season, like you had last year, right? All these guys get mm -hmm. appropriately overvalued, which brings me to my next question. Who is the worst dynasty value? Well, we already talked about him. It's, it's AJ Brown. Um, I, I don't think he's an egregious value by any stretch. I don't think anybody on this team is because there's just so much potential to score points, but I do think AJ Brown is the most mispriced of the group being a guy who's not really still ascending in his career. We know kind of lacks that league breaking ceiling and he's going in that mid second round ahead of guys like Chris Olave, ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown, like you said, ahead of Kyle Pitts and Mark Andrews and some quarterbacks that I'd rather have Kyler Murray, um, even Dak Prescott, I think. So, yeah. So I think he's the most mispriced. So there's another player who turns 29 this season, who has never had a top five season, who has never had more than five touchdowns in a season, who has never had more than 56 catches in a season. And I have no idea why Dallas Goddard is going as high as he's going. I like Dallas Goddard. I think he's a good player. I think he will reliably get you, you know, 11 to 12 points a game and be a, you know, tight end seven, tight end eight. The problem mm -hmm. is, is that that ultimately doesn't matter. You can get Gerald Everett's 10 points for free. And I don't see Dallas Goddard having the 15 plus point per game upside that some other players in that range do. I mean, I know his value is, is above a guy like Sam Laporta as it should be. Um, he's obviously going to be better this season. It's above a guy like, you know, Darren Waller and Pat Fryermuth. But honestly, I'm taking Kincaid. I'm taking Kittle over him. I could see taking Waller over Goddard because he's a year older and he's shown significantly more upside. So mm -hmm. I, while I agree with all you said about AJ Brown, I think Dallas Goddard's probably the uh, most overpriced player. I do think he is overpriced. Um, I think at that range in the draft, it's just less consequential. Like That's fair. 
I'd yeah. probably move him down 12 spots, but like moving down 12 spots in round six versus like five or six spots in round two. It, that's why I went with Brown, but I, I really am not getting Goddard where he's going. I would rather have Fryermuth. I have them pretty close, but I actually prefer Fryermuth. Um, I think he has all the same kind of peripheral numbers, but he's years younger yeah. um, in an offense that, you know, needs to take a step forward as opposed to the Eagles where there's really nowhere to go forward. Um, I do think with Goddard, there is the allure of one of the pass catchers gets hurt. I think he is talented enough to consolidate and then give you that top three upside for, for that stretch of time. But obviously hard to see it sustaining over a full season when he's clearly the third target in the offense. Yep. No, I, I agree with you there. And it's really just a lack of touchdowns, which is tough for a tight end. If you're only going to, if you're only going to catch four passes a, a game and you're not going to get a touchdown, you know, more than 25% of the weeks, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to be successful. Um, who's a player that might be on waivers in the deep dynasty league that you should pick up? This, this offense is so consolidated. I could really only think of one guy and that's Marcus Mariota. Um, he, he could oh, be yeah, on waivers like in some leagues. Yeah. In, in deeper dynasty leagues, I think he's a great guy to have on your bench, especially if it's like a 14, 16 team league where quarterbacks are so hard to find. If he gets plopped into this offense for any stretch of time, I, I don't even think he can screw it up. Like the, the pass catchers are so good. The scheme is, is built for him and the way that he plays, you know, it's suited to his strength. So I think he could step in and immediately be, you know, a mid range QB two for however many games. And that's very valuable. Yeah, the way I look at backup quarterbacks I want to own in Dynasty and Superflex is if if the starter gets hurt, will I automatically play this player in my Superflex? So I'm not considering starting Jacoby <laughs> Myers over him, you know? Right. So, and Mariota is above that threshold. So I agree. That's a that's a good guy to own. Only other guy I'd mention, um, a guy who I had stashed a lot of places because he was injured last year, was Tyree Jackson. Um, I just mm. like his prospect profile. He's you know, in that tight end room, there's not really a good second tight end. Yeah, um, I do have hope for him. He's a good athlete, but that's, you know, a, a very deep long shot. That's a good shot. I had some shares of him too. Is he even still around? I, I like, he is, yeah. he I'm is. the Eagles fan, but I don't even remember. I haven't heard his name in, in a year. He is still hurt, so. unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. but it would be, uh, it, it would be, it'd be a severe long shot, but yeah. you, you never know there. Um, what's your prediction for the Eagles win loss record this year? Uh, 17 and now, obviously, no, I'm just kidding. Um, got to be a realist. we got a tough schedule this year. Uh, I'm going to say 12 and five there's games against the chiefs, bills, jets, Seahawks, two against the Cowboys. I think there's plenty of potential to, to drop some of those. So 12 and five, my optimistic projection would be 13 and four. Yep. I think that makes, that makes sense. You know, no, no big disagreements there. They're the clear class of the NFC, especially mm-hmm. as the NFC remains relatively weak. Oh, yeah. um, let's move on and talk about not the class of the NFC. Actually, sorry, before <laughs> we move on, any questions about the Eagles for me? I know they're, uh, they're your team. Questions about the Eagles. Um, so you don't think Trey Sermon could be the starting running back? Okay, let's move on and talk about the Washington <laughs> Commanders. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is the year where uh, Davis Price takes over for Elijah Mitchell after CMC there gets over and Trey Sermon comes in. It's going to be a rebound of those guys, but I, uh, no, I don't see it. Um, I want to start off this commander's discussion by talking about Sam Howell. He's obviously the big change from last season. He only played one game last year. Um, I was digging back into his profile. Obviously I scouted him in college. I liked his film a fair amount. Mm-hmm. One of the issues with college statistics is that they count sacks in your rushing stats, which is both confusing and annoying. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Sam Howell took the third most sacks in 2021, which is his last year in college. He took 49 sacks for 280 yards, which is bad. Don't get me wrong. However, when you remove that, he had 134 carries for over 1,100 yards rushing Mm -hmm. in 2021, over eight yards a carry and almost 100 rushing yards a game. That is absurd rushing upside that I feel like people are not talking about nearly enough for Sam Howell. And it puts him in a position that even if he's not a good NFL quarterback, he can be incredibly efficient. So as a fantasy player. So how do you feel about Sam Howell this season? So Sam Howell is a tough one for me, um, you know, based on the way that I like evaluate players and and draw my conclusions. He doesn't really fit into my process super well. Like I can look at his college profile, uh, but paired with his fifth round draft capital, that certainly doesn't look all that impressive. And then, you know, look at stats from last year. Okay. He played one game. Um, I don't really break down quarterback film. I wouldn't know where to begin doing that. So I'm kind of at a loss, right? Like I, I can look at, I can say, okay, he was promising early in college. The team has expressed some confidence in him. He has good weapons. All of that has me intrigued for sure. Uh, he's not incredibly expensive either. So I'm cautiously optimistic about his chances. I, I think where he's priced in the in the ninth round of startups, QB 27 is a perfectly fine place to kind of take the shot. Um, the question for me is like, what build does he fit into, right? Because if you are trying to contend, you know, you've got Matt Stafford two rounds available, two rounds later, you've got other quarterbacks that you could go to in that range. Tannehill is later, Derek Mm -hmm. Carr, Russell Wilson. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So, so it's tough. Like, I feel, I feel like he's a nice little shot you can take on a team that's maybe, um, in a productive struggle because there's a lot, there's like a high risk, high reward there. And it's like, okay, if he sucks, you're already trying to suck. So I think that makes sense. Or just going to trade for him in an established league where maybe you have two starters that you can rely on and you're like, okay, well he's my QB three and he's got a little value accrual potential. Um, so that's kind of how I'm treating him. I, and, I, and I do think that's exactly, a- yeah, that's the build where I'm targeting him. I have a lot of teams where I have two of the top 12 or 13 quarterbacks and I'm targeting him as my QB three over a guy like Derek Carr, just because he has some more of that value upside. I also am targeting him on teams where I have Kyler Murray as my QB two, um, hoping that his rushing floor, you know, what that hypothetically may be, will boost him up to be enough to be a QB two um, until a guy like Kyler comes back. I, I like that. I, I have I have Howell projected to be kind of that. I realized, by the way, in the projections I sent you, I uh, forgot to include his interceptions. So it's a little bit lower than what I sent you, um, but projected to be around QB 19, um, around that 15, 16 points a game. I only have him projected for 400 rushing yards. I feel like that could be higher. It's just tough to know how Howell will play. I know they don't want him to run a lot in Washington, but I think that's going to be his instinct. But it's a really high leverage thing because there are other players like Trey Lance, Desmond Ritter, Will Levis, if we're just talking about the value game, who are all going in a similar range to Howell and making the right bet there. I mean, two of those guys are going to be worth at least a first rounder next year. And two of those guys might be worth nothing. So making that right bet Uh, is pretty important. Yeah, I mean, it's not Will Levis. Um, I can tell you that. I'm not betting on Will Levis. I, I think Lance still has a little ways to fall. You know, it, as as tantalizing as the upside of Trey Lance remains, uh, it's very apparent that he's not going to play this year. And so it's a it's a tough trade. You know, like again, if you're if you're on a team that's tanking, 
you can go try to send out a, a low ball offer for Lance because he does still have some hypothetical upside. But in any situation where you need points, I mean, Howell just seems like so much clearly better because there is still that potential to gain value and he's actually going to be on the field to potentially gain that value. And he can, you know, be put into your lineup. If he's going to be this mobile quarterback, I think he'll very much be a, a usable player. Yep, absolutely. I agree. And, and Washington did uh, run a ton of plays. They ran 67 plays a game last year, which was a big number. Um, they're going to be in a lot of passing shootouts, I think this season. So while they like to run the ball and I think they're going to run the ball a lot, if you're playing from behind, I think we're going to see um, a lot of offensive output from Howell. Um, I personally prefer him to guys like Ritter and Mac Jones, just because mm-hmm. I feel like if he is, if we don't know if any of these guys are good, none of these guys could be starting next season, but if all three of them are good, Sam Howell will have the highest fantasy upside and the highest fantasy value just because of his rushing game. So I'm, I'm slowly moving Howell up my QB rankings with the acknowledgement that he just might suck. Yeah. I think there's a, still a pretty good chance that he sucks, but yeah, me too. but he could still win enough games that the commanders can't reasonably replace him next year. Um, he could play just well enough that they aren't sure. I mean, they started Taylor Heineke for the better part of two seasons. Like who's to say that they're going to have be sold one way or the other after this year on Sam Howell. I, I don't know. Yeah. Let's move on to talk about some of Howell's weapons and a really interesting wide receiver battle. I love it when two players on the same team are ranked pretty much equal. And that's what we have with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson who are both going in the seventh round of startups uh, looking at wide receiver 28 versus wide receiver 30. Uh, let's just start off. Who do you prefer, Dotson or McLaurin? I'm a Jahan Dotson guy, man. I've been uh, I've been converted. I didn't like him very much coming out. I was still very much an early declare snob. Um, and then I wasn't super impressed with his rookie season, but I've heard enough analysis at this point. I've dug into it a little bit, and I am, I am Dotson pilled. Yeah, I, I think I'm similar to you. I didn't love Dotson coming out. I think a lot of his rookie season was the unsustainable 11.5% touchdown rate, right? He had seven yeah. touchdowns on only 35 catches. That is absolutely absurd and is not something that will happen again. However, Dotson is five years younger than Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin has never had a target rate more than 25%. It was only 22% last year. Mm-hmm. McLaurin's a great player, but he has not shown the ability to be even a wide receiver one in points per game. He's sitting at that kind of useful, but not that game changing 13 to 14 points a game for the last few mm-hmm. seasons. I don't think Howell's going to be a huge upgrade to the passing game. So I would also rather take the shot on Jahan Dotson, even though the median is lower, the value upside and the potential is much higher. Uh, yeah. Give me the you... guy that could, uh, I'm sorry. Give me the guy that can, that has the potential to rise multiple rounds. You know, if he comes yeah. out and he just, supersedes Terry McLaurin or even matches him, you know, identically this season, which I think is very possible. Uh, he's going to be up and, and McLaurin's going to be down. I don't really see McLaurin having a real path to gaining significant value at this point, because the age is getting to the, to the range where he's just going to naturally drop and he's going to have to continue to hit at this peak production to even maintain his value. Um, you know, you look at guys like Deontay Christian Kirk going two rounds later I don't really see a big difference in their projections for this year. Um, and they're all a similar age. So yeah, his, his price doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, but Dotson, I am very interested in just to throw out last year, 
there was a lot of weird stuff with Dotson obviously came in and he was pretty bad at the beginning of the year, had yeah. those touchdowns, dealt with an injury, came back. He played a couple games, limited snaps. Uh, it seemed like he was he was pretty clearly still injured uh, because he had like basically no targets. He wasn't running all the routes like he was before, but those last five games of the season, when they both, uh, when he was back to running all the routes, him and McLaurin are like Spider-Man meme. Okay. So here, here's the numbers McLaurin versus Dotson. I'll list McLaurin first 15 and a half points per game versus 14.7, 23.3% target share, 23.3% target share, 22.2% targets per outrun. Dotson actually higher 23.1% targets per outrun. Dotson had a higher yards per outrun 2.34 versus 2.29 um, higher ADOT as well. Higher air yard share. Um, so he was actually right there neck and neck with McLaurin those last five games. And that is a small sample, but I think that could be a preview of what we're going to see in the future. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't doubt that. So right now I'm projecting, uh, McLaurin for about 80 and 1200 yards. I'm projecting Dotson for 62 and 850 yards. I could see that even getting closer um, but neither fall in my top 15 wide receivers. I think mm-hmm. it's likely that both of them are solid wide receiver two or three, maybe Dotson a little bit lower than that, but I don't think either are very likely to be game-breaking. And you mentioned Christian Kirk and Deontay Johnson, both younger than them, but sorry, both younger than McLaurin, both going after McLaurin in startups. I have them both projected within 0.5 points per game of Terry McLaurin this season. So I'm right there with you. Um, McLaurin's a guy that I don't think I own any shares of, or if I do, I uh, hopefully won't in about an hour or so. Cause I'm, <laughs> Same. um, is it worth talking about Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson at all? I know there's been some hype, but like, I just see these two guys as completely, uh, uh, vulturing one another in the various ways, not being useful yeah. for fantasy. Do you disagree? Um, no, I think in the median, uh, that's what we should expect. Uh, I think that there's a pretty thin upside case for Brian Robinson, which is just like maybe they use him a little bit more in the passing game, but that's very half-hearted. It's not really something I expect. Um, Gibson, I think, still has some sneaky appeal in Dynasty, um, kind of an arbitrage DeAndre Swift archetype, basically. Like last year, he was uh, 13th in receptions uh, and yards among running backs, 11th in target share, 9th in yards per outrun. So he was... He sneakily had the most efficient receiving season of his career or the and the highest volume. Um, and he also had eight games with at least 10 carries. So I, I still think he has a solid role in the offense. And if both guys are healthy, I, I don't really see either one being a big difference maker. But if Brian Robinson were to get hurt, I think Gibson can absorb enough work on the ground to make himself pretty relevant. Um, and for that reason, I, I'm comfortable rostering him. I don't think he goes at a place in startups that's particularly prohibitive to just kind of hold him, throw him in the flex if you need him and just see what happens. Yeah. I, I think the issue with Antonio Gibson for me is people, obviously he's going to be taking over a lot of this McKissick role. Um, looks like he's going to have a big role in the receiving game. The issue is, is that once Brian Robinson came back, uh, Antonio Gibson basically didn't have much of a role uh, in the rushing game. If we look at the last four games, they were both healthy Brian Robinson had 21, 12, 22, and 24 carries. And uh, so that's one sec. That's 78 carries over four, 79 carries over four games. 
over those same four games, Antonio Gibson only had 28 carries. So mm. literally three, almost three X him in carries over those last four games. That was a trend that had been continuing as Antonio Gibson had kind of been falling off in terms of his rushing efficiency, only 3.7 yards per carry last season. So I'm not really interested in either of these guys, but I do see the contingent That's upside fair. if one of them gets hurt. Yeah, that makes sense. Gibson's never really been a particularly good rusher. So any volume that he gets is probably not going to be on purpose at this point. Yeah, that's a good way to say that. Um, anyone else uh, stand out in my projections? Um, no, I mean, there's not really anyone else on this team that's all that interesting. I mean, Curtis Samuel is probably going to be like, you know, wide receiver 60 or something, and he might have a couple spike weeks. You're not going to ever want to play him in a managed league. And then I think Logan Thomas that like, got hurt again. Um, I don't know if he's back or not, but probably not on the radar unless you're in like a two tight end format. The only thing for me that sticks out, I, I tend to think Dotson and McLaurin stat lines are going to end up closer. That's just me personally, but yep. I can't can't for sure say one way or the other that that's wrong. And the and the ADP would certainly have McLaurin ahead by a by a decent bit. So. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that with Dotson, and I, I am assuming that his touchdown rate for last season was completely a fluke, but if it wasn't and he's able to be the red zone threat, mm -hmm. uh, he can definitely surpass his uh, redraft ADP, which is, you know, in the in the late 30s, early 40s. Uh, let's talk about who is the best dynasty value on this team. Um, so, you know, I was thinking about this, and honestly, none of these guys really strike me as incredible values. Like, I think by default, I would say Dotson and Howell are both kind of in the same bucket for me as like, I'm intrigued at their price. Like, I don't think they're expensive to get into. And I think they both have potential to gain value, um, but I'm not necessarily, you know, rushing out to buy either of them. You know, they, they wouldn't make my top 10 buys list uh, today, but I think they both have potential to accrue value. Uh, and I think they're fairly priced. So I'd have to say those two guys are kind of tied for me. Yeah, I'm becoming a little bit interested in Brian Robinson just because I, I think that there might be some receiving upside there. He did have 35 mm. catches his last year at Alabama. Um, I do think he looked pretty good running the football last year, but realistically, I, I mean, he's probably nothing. I think Howell's the best value just because of the upside. I, I love taking quarterbacks in that range because, mm -hmm. listen, the the there he's going as the QB 27, right? So there's not much more for him to fall if he remains the starter. So Basically, yes. you're betting that he can stay the starter and he's instantly a round six pick, um, which, you know, is, is a quite a good value gain in that range. Who's the worst dynasty value on this team? It's got to be McLaurin, right? It's McLaurin. Yeah, we already talked about it. I mean, he can't be going two rounds ahead of Deontay, Christian Kirk, uh, Hollywood Brown. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, he's older than all those guys. They all project pretty similarly. If you go into an underdog draft, it's like, McLaurin's in the late fourth and then Kirk and Deontay are in the early fifth and then Hollywood's like late fifth, early sixth. Like they're all right there. It's going to be a flat tier of wide receiver production. I just don't see any reason to take McLaurin there when he has not demonstrated any kind of high end ceiling. And now like Sam Howell's going to be the one to unlock the ceiling. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Same goes in dynasty where if you're competing, you know, downgrade to uh, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyler Lockett and get a plus on top. If you're not competing, go flip him one for one for Traylon Burks or Zay Flowers right now. Um, there's just a lot more upside there. Well, um, probably not Traylon Burks if you've been on Twitter today, but um, yeah, we're not talking about that. I, damn, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. I has there been any update right. in the last Fingers half crossed. hour or so? I haven't heard anything other than just I saw the clip and some Twitter doctors speculating. I don't know anything for sure, but it did not look particularly good.
Yeah, yeah. Not great. Um, all right. Who is a player that might be on waivers in a deep dynasty league that you should pick up on the commanders? Um, hey, let's just stay at quarterback. Go pick up Jacoby Brissett. Okay. We just said Sam Howell might not be good. Um, the weapons are pretty good. Uh, the team is certainly said that they're not afraid to play Brissett. They've talked about him highly and he was good last year for the Cleveland Browns. Like he played basically, you know, mid average to below average starter quality for 11 games last year. So I think if he were to be thrust into a starting role, he's a guy you could play, uh, you know, as a low end QB too. Yeah. And I think he's pretty much in that range where he's going to be a potential bridge quarterback every season. So you can get him for basically nothing this year. And there's a 50, 50 shot that, you know, he is starting, he's in the Gardner Minshew position next year. And maybe he wins the job over next year's Anthony Richardson, right? Like there, there are chances that he could win a starting job outright. So I think that's a good, a good idea. Um, Mike, I, I, I don't know if Brissett is unowned in a lot of deep dynasty leagues, but he's certainly very cheap. One guy who is unowned in a lot of these leagues, which is honestly perplexing at this point is Cole Turner. Uh, Cole Turner has been getting a lot of hype out of training camp. He is the tight end for those uh, uh, unacclimated to him. Logan Thomas is 32 years old. He dropped off an absolute cliff over the last two seasons. He already has a calf injury, uh, which Ron Rivera referred to as an old man injury, which is never good when talking about a starting <laughs> tight end. And Cole Turner has been getting a lot of hype. He could be the starting tight end on this team, and he is on waivers in some 30 30- uh, roster dynasty league. So he's a guy I would definitely look to pick up. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I knew who he was before this. I, I thought their backup tight end was like John Bates or something, whatever his yeah, name so was. So, so it, it was John Bates. And I, I know too much about this because I was, uh, I like John Bates last season. John Bates was absolutely terrible last season. They basically transitioned him to a blocking only tight end. Uh, Cole Turner is a converted wide receiver from Nevada drafted in the fifth round of the draft. Um, last season he has the build and the profile of a player who could you know put up 600 yards uh from the tight end position which is useful yeah um and he is basically free so he, he's someone that. that i'm definitely targeting i'm gonna go look for him in all my leagues right after this yeah good good idea just uh if, if he's on my team don't try to send me any fourth round picks <laughs> for him <Fair laughs> um win loss prediction for the commanders uh, I'll go seven and 10. I, I don't have a particularly strong feeling, but uh, mediocrity is, is what I expect. They have some winnable games on the schedule for sure. I looked at it. It's, it's not the toughest schedule in the world, but also they're not very good. So I'll go seven and 10. All right. I got and probably question. Rivera and probably Rivera gets fired. That's my guess. What is your name prediction for the Washington commanders? There's, there's a lot of rumors that they might change it back. Uh... They might change it to a different one. My name prediction. Well, the one that I thought, had the nicest ring to it was the Washington Red Wolves. Um, I don't know if that's still in contention. I had heard that as a potential back when they were the football team. Um, If I was going to place the odds, I think the, I think the highest odds or the the lowest odds, I'm not, I'm not much of a gambler. The lowest odds, the highest odds is what's most likely to happen. I think the highest odds would be on um, going back to Washington football team. I think there's a little bit of a groundswell of support for that name, even though it's like so stupid. Um, And I think they might do that. I kind of liked it. I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan. So I'm used to the, uh, the really ordinary names like that, where you're just, you know, city name plus football club. Um, right. There's also apparently the uh, uh, a big native American association is trying to get them to change their name back to the Redskins. So that's, uh, oh. I don't know if that's going to happen. I can't now keep up Dan- with the rules. Yeah. Now that Dan-, Dan Snyder's out, who knows? Uh, as far as my win loss prediction, I don't care. Mediocre. 
<laughs> that's what Washington's always not in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Not in the playoffs. So not really uh, in my mind. Uh, any questions for me on the commanders before we sign off? No, man. I love the, uh, the tip on Cole Turner. Um, I think 11 receptions for De'Ami Brown might be optimistic, but, uh, but I love to keep a candle burning for him. Um, <laughs> Only you would look at a guy I have projected <laughs> for 27 fantasy points and tell me I'm crazy. Uh, before we sign off here, you want to remind everyone where they can find you? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore DFF. Uh, and you can find my weekly podcast, The Factory Tour. It's a dynasty show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Awesome. Make sure to check that out. And thank you to everyone for listening to the Dynasty's Old Time Podcast. We'll be back with more team previews soon. Mm-hmm.